My name is Matt Altoff. I'm a trader, and I want Peak 40 performance. Welcome to Peak 40, the podcast that brings you the tips, tactics, and stories for living your best life in midlife. If you're in your mid-30s to 50s, Peak 40 is the place to get actionable advice on the nuances of nutrition, training, recovery, and mindset in midlife. For the full experience and other valuable resources, register for the Peak 40 weekly newsletter at drbubs.com forward slash peak 40 to enhance your lifestyle and start making midlife your best life. Hey guys, I'm Mark Bubs, and this is episode number two of the Peak 40 podcast. Do you think you're a logical person? Do you think you make decisions based on logic? Well, in fact, 90% of the decisions that we make are based on emotion. And when you consider the U-shaped happiness curve that I talk about in chapter one of my new book, Peak 40, this notion that happiness levels tend to decline in midlife between the ages of 41 and 47, and you stack on top of that the lack of sleep in the general population, which again tends to be amplified in our mid-30s and 40s with smaller kids at home, higher work demands, older parents that you need to take care of, and of course, generally higher stress levels, and these have this collection of factors has a major influence on our mindset. Mindset is such a huge roadblock for most of us, right? The six inches between our ears is really the difference between being able to build the habits that you need to succeed and struggling and deciding to take a shotgun approach, looking in another direction and getting stuck in that loop of trial and error that never seems to go anywhere. In this episode, you'll hear from two experts. The first, Dr. Tara Swart, medical doctor and neuroscientist, a senior lecturer at MIT Sloan, who will discuss how we can go from unconscious to conscious thinking. She'll also discuss the key role of the limbic system, that emotional part of your brain, and how important it was in our evolution. And therefore, today, it's not so much about controlling your emotions. In fact, it's not about controlling your emotions at all but rather mastering your emotions so you can direct them in the right places. Finally, Tara talks about reflection, creating time and space in our days, weeks, months, and lives to be able to reflect and think about where we're at. Because unfortunately, in today's 24-7 constantly connected society, we don't have those moments of pause like we once did to reflect, to decompress, and to really take stock in and where we're at, and what direction we really want to be headed. Have a listen to Dr. Tara Swart, and I'll catch you on the other side of this clip. You know, for me, an evolutionary um, perspective on things really helps me to, to navigate, you know, complex problems. You know, from your standpoint, you know, what aspects of the brain are symptoms of evolutionary hardwiring that we really most need to fight against and retrain? Great question. Thank you. I do love making these parallels between how we lived in the cave and the things that made us actually survive and, and essentially become the most successful animal on the planet. And then the, the aspects of, of those things that don't serve us any longer. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't actually like to use the word hardwired because of what we know about neuroplasticity now, which is mm. the ability of the brain to change itself and how much it does change, even if we're not conscious of it. Um, but you're so right. There are some things that have literally been 
in our brains for millennia. And I guess the the most alarming one is um, about unconscious bias. So when we lived in the cave, we we survived in tribes of no more than 150 people. So we could essentially recognize everybody in our tribe. Um, but even then, the tribes were delineated according to skin color, hair texture, eye shape, eye color, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And although that no longer serves us and, and you know, is, isn't relevant, some of those things are still in our brain. So it's with everything that you and I will talk about, and I know, you know, in your work as well, it's always about raising from non-conscious to conscious, whether it's your biases, whether it's behavior patterns that drive you, but you're not aware of it, um, anything at all. The more you raise your awareness of it, that's when you can use the power of neuroplasticity to make any changes that you might desire. And are there strategies, Tara, for being able to to do that, to help us go from the unconscious to conscious? So I've tried to make the book really practical. So there are lots of exercises in it that help with this kind of thing. But I do think it starts with journaling. Um, I, I had a very regular journaling practice myself before I started writing the book. And was quite shocked at when you read over the last three or six months, how many times I was thinking and saying the same thing, but expecting things to change around me. That's <laughs> so, <laughs> very true, right? I think we can yeah. all relate to that. Um, it's, it's funny, though, because sometimes when you think about journaling, that doesn't necessarily include reading back over your entries. Um, but to me, that was the most insightful part of having kept a journal. Um, so either by journaling or obviously speaking to a coach, a therapist, a friend, um, just to get that other perspective. Because, you know, what everything we see, we see as a fact because it's filtered by our own perspectives. Um, but we don't know what we don't know. So whether it's journaling, whether it's talking to someone else or doing some specific exercises that look at behavior patterns that are so natural for you that you're not aware of them, um, those are the main ways of doing it. I mean, I guess things like meditation and contemplation um, lead to that too. I just like to be really practical and, and offer people tangible solutions rather than just think about mm-hmm. you know, what's worked and not worked kind of thing. Absolutely. And that's a powerful insight to go back over the journaling because I think, you know, whether it's nutrition or training, oftentimes, you know, athletes, clients will get so stuck into the moment that without going back to look at what they've done in the past and and that progression, that really starts to elucidate a lot of the patterns, as you mentioned there, that are maybe holding us back and, and some of the lessons that we're learning. And of course, in today's society, we're, you know, we're always doing now where you don't have a chance to sort of go for a walk and let our thoughts percolate around where you're always tuning in and trying to get more and more information. And we seem to be going from, you know, more emotional beings to more logically driven beings. And, you know, there are some consequences to that, which you talk about in the book. Could you share some of those? Yes, it really relates back nicely to how you started off asking about evolution. And of course, at one point we were, us humans, we're walking around on the savannah with other animals and we were nothing special. Um, At that time, we had a well-developed limbic system, which is the more emotional, intuitive parts of the brain. And your own limbic system is about the size of your clenched fist. So you can imagine that inside your skull. Mm -hmm. And then around that, we had a very thin layer of of the outer cortex, which are the more rational um, regulatory processes in the brain. And it was around the time that we discovered fire. And we, we don't know if we 
discovered fire by accident and then we were able to control it and cook meat and therefore digest protein more efficiently and that that's when our cortex grew or it may be that we naturally evolved to grow a larger cortex and then we were able to use tools and and make and control fire but either way that is basically our first cognitive revolution and so our cortex massively grew to become about as thick as the limbic system and that's why we have such a large skull now and that meant that we could try to predict and plan for the future and we developed the ability to articulate speech now once you can speak then you know if you say something to me i say something to you we take that very much at face value Mm-hmm. We don't pay as much attention to body language and we certainly don't pay much attention to the primal feelings that we get just by being around each other. So those layers of being that actually led us to become the most successful animal on the planet, we've demoted things like emotion and equated that to weakness. We've until recently with the brain scanning t- studies, we've kind of said well intuition isn't a real thing, you know, how do you know it's it's right? Exactly. Um, But we've said that logic is, it's facts, it's data, it's the best way of thinking, that's what we should all be doing. And I just don't agree with that. And that's why I talk about mastering your emotions. So it's not about being emotional. Um, It's not about having too much or too little emotion. It's about having that really perfect range that actually, you know, it makes us less stressed, it makes us well, and, and it can lead to higher performance. In the book as well, Tara, you talk about obviously the importance of developing metacognition, you know, thinking about thinking, which, you know, is, is something quite big to unpack. Can you unpack that a little bit for listeners? Well, it relates back to what you asked me earlier about, you know, how do you raise from non-conscious to conscious what the things that might be holding you back or just the patterns that you've got into? They may not be bad habits, but they're habits all the same. Um So metacognition, as you've said, is thinking about your own thinking. And we don't really tend to do that, partly because, again, as you said, we're so busy, we're bombarded with so much information, we just get on with it. And the brain is a very energy-hungry organ that doesn't want to give up resources unless it has to. So the, the the default is to just carry on thinking the way that you always have. I think if you... If you know, whether it's physically or mentally, if you want to evolve to the next level, if you want that edge, if you want to be your best self, you do need to take the time to step back and look at what your life looks like now. You know, really, I think, you know, quite a poignant question is, is your life now everything that you always dreamed it would be? And if the answer to that is no, then you need to make the time and space to reflect on your thinking, to do these exercises, to really surface the barriers that are holding you back from being your best, most successful self. Um, And reframing some of your thinking towards, you know, whether it's about more abundant thinking, whether it's about doing more visualization of future success, um, finding out what that thing is that's going to transform your life for you. Yeah, it's a terrific point. And of course, in today's environment where there's so much noise and, you know, things like social media and podcasts are terrific for purposes like mm. this, but I mean, it can become overwhelming. We sort of live in this, uh, you know, as Daniel Goldman says, this epidemic of absence of attention. And so, you know, one has to be quite proactive, don't they, in carving out time to 
to think and to, to do nothing, so to speak, whereas before it almost was built into just how we lived. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I really, I love the way you think, because I can see all the interconnections in what you're saying, because, you know, this again relates back to when we lived in the cave. We naturally walked barefoot in nature. We sat around the campfire with our families every night. We looked at the stars in the sky. I mean, who does that now? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not normal to do it. I actually do do those things because I, I make myself do them because I'm so aware of the fact that it's just easy to be on your device the whole time you know, not do any of those things. But also it's, it's really lovely because I spoke at a school yesterday in Boston and um, attempt, cultivation of attention was actually what the principal was, was saying that they're trying to do through the speaker series that they're bringing in for the children. Um, and, you know, I think particularly for teenagers, it's, it's a whole different world of multiple distractions and multitasking and expectations that are just so draining for um, the brain. And so one of the things I took in these packs of little temporary tattoos that are called mindful marks, and they have little um, affirmations that go with them, like um, I unlock my true potential, I view the world abundantly, I visualize a powerful path. And it's even tiny things like that, that you know, obviously the little tattoos appeal to the kids, um, and but the adults your- sometimes too, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a pack, Mark. Nice, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so I think, you know, trying to bring those little points of mindfulness into your life, like, for example, mindful eating, that gives me three anchors in a day where I can put my devices away, I can be quiet, I can savor and focus on the thing that I'm doing in a very, you know, single-minded way. Um However, given what you've what you've mentioned about the constant distractions and social media, I am a massive advocate of digital detoxes as well, because, you know, when you say you really have to step back and create the time. Well, if you don't use your phone for two days or two weeks, you have a massive amount of time. It's shocking. All right, let's unpack some of Tara's insights there from those last clips. Now. Self-talk is such a powerful, powerful tool, yet we're unaware of all this unconscious chatter that's going on. And it actually has a big impact on our competence, on our ability to make changes and feel our best. And so I'm sure so many of you now are familiar with journaling, obviously, but this idea of even just writing down how you're feeling or thinking for three minutes, five minutes, whatever it might be, and then putting it away. But at the end of the week, revisiting that and seeing what that self-talk looks like. You know, what, what, what are you picking up when you see the types of words that you're using and the language that you're using to speak to yourself? And are there patterns that you're picking up when you review that? Mindset is a trainable skill, but it doesn't happen on its own. You can't just show up to game day without having put in some work at practice first. And, you know, most of us don't spend a lot of time on, on mindset activities Um, being the generation that we are, or just the fact that it's midlife and it's busy and it's hectic and it's crazy. And so revisiting those mindset skills like positive self-talk, like things like mindfulness and optimism, which we'll dive into in future episodes. And, and to me, what might be the easiest one, which is awe, which is just exposing yourself to these, you know, landscapes or pictures or music or things that really just send your mind off in a different direction. But if we come back to this idea of self-talk, I mean, this is where 
We know that lack of sleep makes it more difficult to disengage from negative thoughts. In midlife, you are definitely lacking sleep most of the time. And so already the current is pulling you in that direction. And so we need to start to incorporate some strategies. It can be really small, like the journaling. It can be using you know, the positive self-talk strategies I talk about in Peak 40. I'm just repeating a few phrases. And again, all this stuff can feel a little bit hokey initially to some people, maybe more so men. But it is really powerful. And we look at all the high performers, especially when we're in an Olympic year. These are the things that they do to perform their best. You know, if you want to feel extraordinary or have an extraordinary life that you really want to lead, then you need to do things that are out of the ordinary. And so building those mindset skills is one of them. And, you know, it really does come back to this idea of compliance because whether it's nutrition, whether it's training, whether it's mindset, the best predictor of success is just showing up every day, right? It's not the fad diet. It's not the crazy training regime. It's not the new mindset technique. It's just being able to show up every day and repeat it. Now let's shift gears here a little bit because I'm sure you've heard the term, you know, it's not about time management. It's about priority management, right? How do we, the things that we need to focus on, we got to make those things a priority in our lives. But Dr. Peter Jensen, who's a renowned sports psychologist with Canada basketball and been to numerous Olympics, both winter and summer, uh, supporting Canadian elite Olympic athletes, he takes it a step further here and talking about energy management, which is a fascinating concept. So I'll let him unpack that for you in these clips. He's also going to talk about perfectionism and, of course, many of the pitfalls that come with perfectionism. And, of course, if you're an outcome-driven person or a type A personality, then you, you're going to want to listen closely here. Again, I'll circle back with you at the end of the clip. What is energy management and why is it important? Well, boy, that's a, that, that's a long, it's a question that requires a fairly long answer, but let me try to abbreviate it. I think as we get busier and busier, we try to solve that problem by reallocating time. And we have such a limited amount of time. We have 24 hours in a day, and that hasn't changed recently. <clears throat> and if you fail to notice the constant in that equation, the 24 hours, uh, you miss the point. Because you see, we think that if we manage our time well, the pressure will go away. And to a small degree, that's the case. You, you know, good time management skills are, are valuable. But at a certain point, that's not where you're going to get most of your gains. Because the truth is, time is the problem. You see, it's time and the shortage of it that makes us forfeit a good night's sleep uh, in order to get something done. That if we waited and did it in the morning, we could do it in a tenth of the time. It's, it's, it's not having the time to spend it with the people we want to spend it with, the people we love most that puts pressure on it. It's deadlines. It's all of these things. And when we start to think of ourselves as someone who has to learn to manage energy, not time, we start to find all kinds of time. For example, our arousal level is critical. Like when our arousal level goes too high, what happens our attentional focus narrows. And it's not something you have any choice over. It's just the way it is. Uh, you've been in situations, for example, where, excuse me, <clears throat> you've been in situations, for example, where someone has really upset you. And you leave the situation, and five minutes out of the room, you're saying things like this. When she said that, why didn't I say this? And I should have said this and this and this. Well, if you can think of it five minutes later, how could you couldn't think of it right in front of her? 
Well, your arousal level got too high, your attentional focus narrowed, you missed the, missed the information. It's what we call choking in sport. Attentional focus too narrow, missing relevant information. The fact of the matter is, if you used a breathing technique in the middle of a conversation with her, you would have been able to handle it right there. Now it's going to rob time, you're going to think about it, you're going to talk to other people about it, and it's just going to constantly uh, steal time from you. Uh, we borrow time from sleep, as I mentioned, all the time. We never pay it back. We never pay it back. And there's all kinds of things that just drain our energy and take up time. Multitasking, being negative with ourselves. Um, what I call ceaseless striving. In other words, trying to change the impossible. You and I having a conversation about how upset we are about the fact that they've made this decision and the decision's over, it's done, it's complete. Any conversation that we are having at that point doesn't take us anywhere. It's what Ben Zandler, the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic, once called the conversation of no possibilities. <laughs> and again, it eats up time. But the problem is I haven't managed my energy. I haven't looked at what I can control, looked what I can't, learned to let go, started to acquire some of the skills that allow me to get better at managing my energy and at my performance. At the World Basketball Championships in Turkey a few years ago, I, I, we, I not, excuse me, we, the women's basketball team, uh, was shooting 51% from the foul line in the fourth quarter of the first two games. And so I taught them a simple breathing technique from Aikido called centering. And so they'd stand on the foul line, center, the referee would give them ball, they'd shoot the foul shot. They never shot below 81% again. We never did anything to do with the physical skill whatsoever of shooting the basketball. We only helped them get into the space to shoot it. And breathing is a, is a really, really interesting activity. I mean, obviously, it keeps us alive. But just as importantly, it narrows our focus and it can calm us down immensely. You know, the biofeedback clearly points out that anytime you inhale over four seconds and you exhale over six seconds, the body will move into a very relaxed, very focused state, an ideal state for performance. And that's a skill we can all use today because the game has changed, not just for athletes, for all of us. It's a fast-paced world. It's more complicated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and learning some skills that we can use to monitor and uh, manage our energy through our day-to-day is invaluable, and not just skills to take your energy down because it's too high, but what are those, about those times in the middle of the afternoon when you're flat and you're unmotivated and you, you just can't get at what you're trying to do and you're looking around the office and you're thinking, you know, how could one organization have hired so many slugs, you know? <laughs> or you're saying to yourself, oh my gosh, I gotta get to bed at a decent hour tonight, because you're flat. Your energy level is flat. Well, if your phone rang at that moment, and on the other end of the phone was someone you hadn't heard from a long time, they bring out the best in you, you know, you hang up the phone five minutes later, you're full of energy, you're full of enthusiasm. So I suppose if you can get people to phone you at crucial points in your life, that might work, but maybe you gotta learn how to energize yourself. If we 
continue this conversation around things that are draining our energy uh, resources, you, you also talk about perfectionism. And I think that's something that a lot of athletes, elite athletes or high performers would sort of maybe classify themselves as perfectionists. Why is that a big potential energy drain? Well, simply because it's totally inefficient to do most things perfect. <laughs> like they don't require it. There are lots of things that require it. But if you're perfectionist by nature, it was fine when you were in university. If it took you 50 hours to write a paper that took somebody else four hours, and they got 89 and you got 94, maybe it mattered. But does it really matter? You know, does it really matter now? I mean, when it has to do with health, when it has to do with safety and those things, of course. But there's a lot of stuff where, you know, I always say don't let, don't let perfect get in the way of very good. Because very good is more than adequate most of the time. Most of the time. Because trying to do everything perfect, oh my goodness, you're, you're just setting yourself up. You know, um, Tom Rennie, uh, head of Hockey Canada, we have a program, I say we because I've been working with Hockey Canada for a long time, program at Hockey Canada called the Program of Excellence, which runs in the spring every year where we bring all the coaches in who will coach for Canada that year in under 17s, under 18s, under 20s, which you would know as World Junior, etc. And he started off um, this year saying, we call this the program of excellence for a reason. We don't call it the program of perfection. <laughs> so yeah, perfectionism is, is uh, that's a heavy cross to bear if you try to be that way in everything that you do. You may have an area or two where it's really important for you, but across the board, not good. All right, let's unpack how this applies to you in midlife. Well, mindset is crucial for performance no matter what point of life that we're in, but midlife in particular, that that combination of the U-shaped happiness curve, the lack of sleep, which impairs our ability to disengage from negative thinking, the higher stress load, which means we're more likely to, to ruminate and get stuck into negative mental feedback loops, really amplify the importance and the need to upscale our mental performance. As Dr. Tara Swartz says, if you're thinking and saying the same thing and expecting a different response or different reaction, then that's just not going to happen. If you're having these conversations of no possibilities, as Dr. Jensen describes, without time for you know reflection, we're always going to be stuck with roadblocks. We're always going to be chasing our tail, looking for the next diet, the next exercise regime to get us to where we want to go. Mindset is fundamental to success because you can't overcome obstacles with the wrong mindset. You can't trust the process and in solving complex problems like a chronic health condition or weight gain, you need to trust the process. You need to have that sort of patience and play the long game. And if you don't have the right mindset, you can't bring the right energy and enthusiasm and effervescence to your day-to-day -day life and to the dietary exercise and lifestyle changes that you need to make. And so if you're looking to end this loop, this negative thought loop, the constant struggle of making progress only to regress and then be looking in another direction, then we've got to really pause here and shift our focus to upgrading our mental performance. And the, the fantastic part here is that mindset is a trainable skill. And so what you'll see is a major theme in these Peak 40 podcasts. We've got to really start stacking up the wins on the mindset side, because if we do that, the other wins on the nutrition 
exercise, weight loss, health, improving our health, etc., those just start to come as a result. So where do you start? Well, like any new behavior change, we want to make the gap as small as possible so that we can build that compliance over time. And so it will obviously depend on your context, but you know, finding five minutes for a bit of silence in your day so you can reflect on how you're actually feeling, what your goals are, and whether or not you're orienting yourself towards those goals. You could also use that five minutes or add an extra five minutes to do some mindset exercises like the ones I outlined in Peak 40 around positive self-talk, building optimism, building mindfulness. Because ultimately, if we don't build these mindset skills, we're going to struggle to build the right habits that orient us ultimately towards our values. And so this whole conversation today around emotion is in the fact that emotions drive behaviors in humans, right? We're not trying to control our emotions, but if we can build some mindset skills and take some time to reflect, we can start to master our emotions and channel those emotions in the right direction. If you have any questions about today's episode, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Dr. Bubbs. Remember to use the hashtag peak 40. If you want to take a deeper dive on this topic and others, sign up for peak 40 weekly, our expertly curated newsletter and check out my new book, peak 40, which drops this Thursday, May 20th and is available for pre-order on all major book outlets. Lastly, I need your help. We're aiming for a thousand downloads in the first month of the peak 40 podcast. So if you enjoy the content, please share with your friends and colleagues and ask them to download so we can hit that 1000 download target. Have a great Monday. I'll be back with you this Thursday for episode number three.